future is Mecca. In the previous episode, I wouldn't take the section test and move to a higher table. I was suddenly becoming Dim Lord. It might go from Dim Lord to Dumb Lord. You want to test out of common history? Before viewing the scenarios, a chat box opened in front of me. That wasn't supposed to happen in the testing viewer sets. They could have bought you a mecha even Coda would be jealous of. That's what I know. I've got all the stream tests automated. What score do you want? Only about 20 points above your average. We knew you would blow off common stream one day, but we have two things to celebrate. We came out of the doors onto the main steps. Kids were heading in every direction. A lot of mechas was trudging in step towards the transit pad, where once in its centre, the jets would kick in, the backwash spilling through the heavy steel grill to the dispersal chambers underground, the mecha flying them home, to the city, or just a short hop to the nearest mech cafe. I couldn't see the little green baby for all the proper-sized mechas in motion, but I was relieved to see that Davo and the other poppers were already gone. I wouldn't have to face them this afternoon. My mini-tab buzzed in my pocket. The message was from an ID I didn't recognize. Device A0F3. That's not even a person. I was about to block it out of reflex, figuring someone's shoe got hacked to spam, but the preview read, Your 94 wasn't free. I walked away from Azalea and Coda, over to the red brick wall of the building where no one could sneak a peek, and opened the message. Your 94 wasn't free. You owe me. If you want your cheating to remain our secret, you'll get the data I need. I want who your dad works for and who sold him the mecha. Play it smart, Simlord. And if I were you, I would delete this. You're the only one leaving evidence. I deleted it as my empty guts twisted and twisted a nasty acid burp up into my mouth, stinging my throat. I swallowed hard. Basic Anu. Hey, Praxit, called Coda. I turned back to him and Azalea standing on the edge of the steps. Beyond them, mecha after mecha blasted up from the transit pads. The sky was full of hundreds of colored shapes, glinting shapes of mechas in flight pose, flying in equally spaced formations along Travnav's preset paths towards inner rings or onto the city, towards mechafes, sports fields, or just the transit pad nearest their house. It was always amazing to me and I've wanted to be a part of it so badly. I was no closer to joining in. Really? I felt like my chance of ever joining in was crumbling away. Azalea's frantic schedule is interfering with my plans for your birthday. We've got a comp coming up, said Azalea. So it'll just be the two of us. I lied. I can't, I said, and waved my mini-tab. Dad has plans for this afternoon and I can't get out of them. Don't look so down, Praxit, said Azalea. She squeezed my arm. We'll do something tomorrow. Can't tomorrow. I'm out Friday. We'll do something super fun on Saturday, she said. I promise. Oh, look at you. I feel like I'm quitting on a veer puppy. I'm fine, I said. I put on a smile. I'd rather be doing something with you peeps, that's all. Saturday for sure. I've got a jet, said Azalea. She gave me a hug. Fist bumped Coda, then took off down the steps. I'm jetting too, said Coda. Show that baby who's the sim lord. He held up his fist. I went to bump it and he slapped my hand away, making me turn, and punched me in the shoulder, the same one Azalea had hit. I think he bruised a bruise, and it hurt. Old and slow now, Prax. So old. So slow, he said, then laughed and headed down the steps. It got a smile out of me for a moment, 
but it faded along with the pain in my arm. I watched Azalea climb up to the shoulder of her yogi mech and unlock the cockpit with her handprint. She waved at me as the canopy lifted. I waved back and she hopped in. The mecha was in motion before the canopy sealed, and she gave me a giant thumbs up as she stomped out of the stand to the pads, her forearm ribbons fluttering. I headed down the steps on foot while she shot up into the sky on jets. Then Travnav took over, and her mecha spun 180 degrees and sped her away to Malay practice, the ribbons now trailing and whipping behind her. Koda was sitting in his dazzling white Nova Elite with the canopy up when I walked by. He was talking to someone on his mini-tab. The group comms wouldn't kick in until he closed the canopy, so it was kind of a public form of privacy. He was so engaged in the call he didn't notice me as I walked by, but that was fine. How many times do you have to say goodbye? There were still a dozen or so mechs in the stand, but none near the baby. Even standing alone it looked smaller than ever. The way its oversized cockpit sat low on the shoulders and a bit forward, I realized made it look dejected. Mechas are supposed to look like they're ready to take on the world. Back straight, cockpits up. But no, the baby looked exactly how I felt. The guy who sold it to Dad said it was the perfect mecha for me. What would he know? But if it was perfect for me, then go ahead and stick in the tubes, glue on the veer set, and declare my life officially over. I ran my hand over the leg, scratched at the surface with my fingernail. It wasn't polished, but it wasn't rough. It didn't feel like paint, but it didn't feel like alloy, which is always super smooth. The electromagnetic fields that give active alloy strength also mean that if you somehow manage to scratch the surface, they'll smooth out over time and fade away. Was it really green all the way through? And why didn't it activate when Anu knocked on it? Did I have a super distinctive knock going on? I took a step back and punched it. Where I punched it? Well, where I punched it? Well, okay, it was the groin area. Then I punched it again, in the same spot. It came online. The servos started up. Was there such a thing as knuckle prints? And if there were, who would put a knuckle print reader in that spot? But there was nothing there, just green alloy. As the hand lifted me to the cockpit, I remembered what Koda had said. Show that baby who the Sim Lord is. Hello, pilot practice. Praxit, I said. My name is Praxit. Prax it. P. R-A-X-I-T Hello, pilot practiced. I groaned and wiggled the prosthetics and eyed the traffic on the street as Coda shot up into the sky like a bolt of lightning returning home. His was the only mecha heading away from the city. His family lived in a compound cut into the wilderness around Haeckel Hill, out beyond the industrial ring. Very private and very lush. They had an amazing swimming pool. The canopy snapped shut. It was time to start a new sim. It was called Get Home Without Tripping Over. Challenge level, global tier players only. On the street was the period between learning places emptying and workers heading home. No one's in a rush at this time of the afternoon, especially not bored kids, so I ended up with a noisy posse trailing me. I get it. The baby's small, a disgusting color, and walks funny. If you can call it walking. I didn't need to be told those things over and over again, and I didn't need the blaring group comms. I focused on getting the feet to hit the road where I wanted, the arms to counterbalance the legs, which was C.O. tricky, and tried to ignore my followers. Shout insults at me during a sim because we're 30 seconds in and you're already losing, and I won't even hear them. Those C.O. kids trying to outdo each other with their funny comments and their laughter, they were making me lose my mind. 
You're all so funny. Now cut out the laughter, I yelled. The right foot landed out further than I expected, making the whole mecha lurch, forcing me to swing up the left arm to stop the movement turning into a stagger that would take me into the path of oncoming mechas. Grip comms disabled, the baby said, and the cockpit emptied of sound. I was madly juggling hands and feet, so until I got the thing walking properly upright again, all I could do was wonder. Group comms are like arms or legs. They're part of the mecha design, part of Glurk's cockpit technology. You can't turn them off. It'd be like turning off jets when you're a kilometer above the ground. Group comms status, I said. Group comms disabled. Well, enable them. The voices of the kids in the mechas trailing me flooded back in. It wasn't like they were really talking to me, shouting at me, sure. Disable group comms, I said, and silence returned. Group comms disabled. Well, silence except for the sounds of the baby's movement transmitted through the frame. Some mechas, like Coda's Nova Elite, have a special cockpit mounting so you can't hear even a neck servo whine. Personally, I like to hear what's going on, but this absence of group comms felt too weird. Enable group comms, I said, and can you make it quieter? The laughter and taunts returned, but at a level that didn't stop the signals from my brain from reaching my hands. And maybe, just maybe, between my brain and my hands, I was building a technique for piloting the baby. Compared to this morning, it was more like juggling than wrestling, but juggling drones that had deliveries to make. Put a foot down and it wanted to be up. Lift a foot up and it wanted to kick the other leg. Move a hand back and it wanted to backhand whatever was next to it and all of those moves I had to catch and counteract while trying to direct it where I needed it to go. I've seen toddlers trying to walk, and now I know why they need so many naps. I was glad when I reached my street. I took the corner pretty wide but still had to slow down to a shuffle. Once I was across the intersection lines, I left the other mechas behind. They were geofenced out because it was a private street. Kids are fenced out of everywhere that isn't a public space or one of their registered areas, like home or a learning place. The group sounded pretty young, so they'd probably all head home now their source of fun was gone, or they'd go play in the green ring. There was an area nearby that generations of kids had dug and carved and piled trees in what was known locally as the TAZ, the truly autonomous zone. No guides in industrial meccas, no parents, no rules. Also no jets. Can't be burning the place down. I noticed that Osorio's mecha dock was empty. I know they worked from home, so they probably jetted their miso drifters to the city to eat or see a live performance. Turning, especially tight turns, was still a challenge, so the easiest way to get the baby onto the mecha pad was to walk backwards onto it, and the easiest way to do that was to try and walk forwards, then do my best to steer as it inevitably staggered backwards. It worked. I flexed my hands open and closed, rolled my shoulders and jiggled my legs. The canopy opened and I stepped out onto the hand. Shut down, you big baby, I said. Good night, pilot it said as I was lowered to the ground. Good night. It wasn't even four in the afternoon. The sun wasn't going to set for hours yet. The spring days are long when you're this close to the Arctic Circle, and the summer days almost endless. Dad got home while I was simming in Rock Dog. Piloting the baby had thrown off my reflexes. I was the one who had to recalibrate. It took almost an hour. An hour where I was calling down destruction on that stupid baby. Muttering, really before I was mecking and jetting like a smooth and practiced global tier simlord again. One thing I did notice? I had to get a new seat for the sim rig. It was years old and nowhere near as comfy as the pilot seat and the baby. Also, the virtual cockpit of the hardback ranger I was piloting was, was pretty narrow. 
The canopy was virtual space-hardened plexi, but it was shaped like the visor on a helmet. Straight ahead, you had a clear view, but it didn't have the side views you got in the baby. I'd relied on those to see where its hands were going. I kept to the edges of the asteroid cluster, vaporizing any fragments blasted my way with the mining laser until I felt everything, my movements, the sim rig, the virtual mecha, click into place. You just kind of feel it. One moment, you're wriggling profs in the spare room. The next moment, you're in the hard vacuum of space, ranging out beyond the orbit of Mars where the asteroid belt floats, doing your best to keep your mecha intact while trying to demolish everyone else. If you don't see him, you should know Rock Dog is what everyone calls the Glurk asteroid mining trainer, but only wannabe asteroid miners use it how it was intended. If you crank the settings so the asteroids are a thousand tons and smaller, and their spacing, instead of millions of kilometers apart, is 50 to 500 meters, you have the perfect play space. Add in unlimited shatter charges and boosters and you have everything for a hectic game of last mecha standing. Because it's an accurate training simulator, it has the group comms and all the safety features of real life, so you can't shoot each other with the mining laser mounted on your mecha's chest. It's all about strapping time charges and boosters to lumps of rocks to make improvised missiles and setting up booby traps or dodging and vaporizing what everyone else is throwing at you. It's chaotic and so much fun. While you're blowing each other up, you also have to be isolating metallic deposits and boosting them back to the carrier. Getting ore back to the carrier is how you score bonus points. Knocking ore deposits into deep space is how you annoy the other players. So I was in a total storm of flying asteroid pieces. They're bouncing off me, but I have to watch they don't damage my laser. Plus, there were who knows how many cobbled together missiles going in all directions. I was stepping the controls through the interfaces for the 17 missiles I had in flight to tweak their courses so they would be placed in the worst position possible for my opponents when the timers on the charges zeroed out. There's no shockwave in space but the shatter charges won't detonate if there's a mecha too close. Standard safety. But the charges and mechas only track each other. They can't and don't track rocks, ravens, or flying hot dogs, and the tracking doesn't know what you're holding. If you happen to shatter off a particularly long and straight piece of asteroid, the system can't stop you from smacking a mecha into a spin with the end of it, like you're some kind of space popper, and then smacking them again into the expanding sphere of asteroid splinters from an exploding charge. But the physics in Glurk trainers is tight. Your mecha isn't tracking rocks, but the sim is. I had seven of my missiles built around small rocks so they'd be fast, and they're arranged with six in a circle and a seventh at its center and traveling slightly ahead of them. The center missile was also timed to go off a fraction of a millisecond before the outer missiles. It was a flying shaped charge that would blast out a high-speed ricocheting cloud of fragments that you couldn't dodge. I didn't have to be particularly close, but I was carefully lining it up on a pair of simmers who were working together when I heard my name being called. Dad was standing in front of me, just out of range of getting hit by the sim rig. One minute, I said, and set myself flying backwards. If I get outside the asteroid field, I could leave the mecha floating there relatively safe while I found out what Dad wanted. As I drifted backwards, I switched to the controls of the other ten missiles. They were all attached to a giant slab of rock, literally coated with shatter charges. I'd been flying it around the outside of the field and it was now coming in at full power with only seconds on the timers, directly behind my targets. There are no shockwaves in space, but a cloud of splinters moving at umpty kilometers per second will push everything in front of it like a giant hand, right into my shaped charge. My charges went off. Visually it wasn't much. A bunch of notifications in my HUD. Two mechas shot forward and then were knocked flying in different directions, spinning like dolls. Over their shapes was overlaid a bright tag that read, Critical Damage, 
and over the group comms came some high-density language. I laughed and pulled off my veer set to see Dad smiling. The good smile, not the awful smile, and holding a pink box that could only contain a cake. Oh, Dad, I said, the pancakes were plenty. The pancakes were for your birthday. The cake is for finishing common stream. And with a stellar 94. I groaned and let my head fall. I stared into the veer set hanging from my hand. The rock dog field was two bright blurry patches of light in there, flashing as charges detonated. Basic Anu. Basic me. I forgot Dad would get a notification. Now he's super proud of me and throwing money around. My birthday hadn't ranked a cake, but this fake 94 ranked a real one. Despite the name, pancakes are not real cakes. This was a new level of bad feeling. He should know I don't get 94s and he shouldn't believe it. So I was embarrassed for him being so easily fooled. I didn't deserve the cake and I felt like the cheat I was. On top of that, I was afraid he would find out the truth and I couldn't tell him, so if he finds out it'll be the worst way possible, when I get kicked out of the learning place. It couldn't get any worse. Your mother would be so proud of you. No, I shouted. Don't say that. Don't bring her up. Come on, Prax. My head was on fire. I was not going to think about this. I ran from the rig, around Dad, out the door and up the stairs to my room. The set lost connection and I was booted from the game, but I didn't care. I jumped on my bed and pulled my tablet from under my pillow and started a game of... Of what? Buckets or kittens? I cut the intro short, set it to feline fury and concentrated on scooping up kittens. No thinking. Just kittens, kittens, kittens. About 14 or 15 levels later where some monstrous person had released hundreds of kittens into a greed-age construction site. I felt the mattress sink as Dad sat on the edge of the bed. I've brought you a piece of cake, he said. I ignored him. Let me know if it's too big. I snuck a look out of the corner of my eye at the plate he was holding out. Lying on it was the flattest, thinnest piece of cake you could slice with a knife. The icing was like a red wire wrapped around the edge. Hold on, said Dad. Wrong plate. That one's mine. He did the switcheroo, producing the plate in his other hand. Sitting on that was a giant red-eyed chocolate slab. It might have been less than a quarter of the cake, but not by much. A fork was sticking out of the top. My tablet had emitted a chorus of mew, mew, as curious kittens started falling into things, open drains, cement mixers, post holes, while my mouth watered. I paused the game and took the plate. Sorry about earlier, said Dad. I grunted around a sweet wad of cake and thick raspberry icing. Since I couldn't speak at the moment, I could only hope he wasn't going to keep talking. This is actually my second piece, he said, scooping up a crumbling forkful. My first piece was much bigger, but not as big as yours. I paused with another oversized lump of cake on its way to my mouth. This piece is ludicrous, but if you're hoping eating this much cake is going to teach me a lesson, you're going to be disappointed, I said and pushed the cake into my mouth. Some didn't make it in. I could feel it hanging there around my mouth. Dad rolled his eyes. You've got more on your face than I have on my plate. I said, which translated was, I'm saving it for later. You must be happy getting to go to the same streams as your friends, said Dad. I nodded as I chewed. And you can use Travnav now. Uh-uh, I grunted. You can't? Why not? No jets, I said around the cake in my mouth. What, are you sure? I swallowed a fat, sweet, delicious lump. 
No ports on the legs, no nothing, and it barely walks like the controls are talking a different language. And all it says is, calibrating, calibrating. That doesn't sound good. He pushed the remains of his slice into a small pile and smooshed it under the fork so it squeezed up through the tines. It all came away from his plate and he pulled it off the fork with his teeth. He scraped at the streaks of red icing on the plate as he chewed. I was watching him, looking at the side of his head, and I noticed that in the black hair above his ear there were curls of grey. It's not good at all, he said. I'll talk to Lemur. We might have to get our money back. A mecca without jets. Pfft. It would probably mean waiting longer for a mecca. We're still catching up on habitat fees, and we will be for a while. Habitat fees are what you pay if you live out here in the rings in a house with a yard. If you're on basic income, you can't afford them, so we didn't pay them for a while. We got pretty close to losing the house and having to move to a basic unit in one of the city towers. Maybe we should have let it go, but it's been in in our family since New Whitehorse was established. Then there's all the plants in the garden. It's a connection Dad and I didn't want to give up. It's another stupid reason it's taken me so long to get a mecca. Being attached to a house, to plants. We must be idiots. Could you survive another wait? I don't know if I'll survive this mecca. I don't know if you'll survive that piece of cake. You're slowing down. I'll finish. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. You mean makes you fatter. I laughed. I think all the sugar was making me dizzy. Then we talked about which streams I might take. Media was an obvious one. Anything where I got to do projects about Sims, I am in. Plus I'd get to hang out more with Azalea. Coda was in the vocation stream, mainly because his father was a big business type. I think he really just wanted to hang out choreographing weaves. Giant weaves. It combined two of his favorite activities, dancing and organizing people. You should think about the technical stream, said Dad. You've obviously inherited my good looks, but also your mother's brains. That 94. Two bad things at once. Together they made the cake taste like dirt in my mouth and I was suddenly feeling stuffed. I think my guts were trying to clench or twist and there was no room for that. I hope I wasn't going to barf. I didn't say anything. I choked down what I had in my mouth and put my fork on the plate. There wasn't much of the piece left, but I was done. Giving up, said Dad. I was totally giving up. I nodded and he took my plate and stood up. I think you should come to group with me, he said as he walked to the door. It's really helped me. Helped us, really, to keep all this. He waved the plates around the room. I knew what he meant. There's other kids there going through the same thing as you. It might be good. Just think about it. Just think about it. I don't think about it. I sim and I rescue kittens. I went back to my tablet. The kitten carnage was terrible. I restarted the level. Before I went to sleep that night, I had to torture myself a little more by hanging out my window and glaring down at the baby, standing on the mecha pad like a stumpy metal tree stump or something. It was so fat and heavy, no wonder it didn't have jets. Then I looked out across to the city where the towers glowed with the lights from millions of windows. So much light it made the bellies of the clouds shine like it was the middle of the day. Above the towers and around their edges streaked the lights of meccas, bright blue and orange dashes as they climbed to the tower floor curves as they crossed tower tops into open airspace. Before Dad sold his sturdy mech to pay bills, when I was quite a bit smaller, we would sometimes go to the city just to grab a donut and walk around. I missed those little trips. They weren't going to happen again anytime soon, unless we caught a shuttle. <laughs> That's beyond basic. The golden miso drifters of the Osorios stomped down the street. 
Being mesodrift, it was more of a clop than a stomp, despite being 12 meters tall. They were very light and slender, not much more than a skin over a narrow frame. Their cockpits looked almost too big for their frames, but it was part of their look. It was meant to be elegant, but not as expensive as, say, Coda's Nova Elite. They weren't particularly robust mechas, but some people aren't looking to mine asteroids. Some just want their mechas to look nice and get them to the city and back. I stayed and watched Hernan and Merida walk up to their mecha dock. They were pretty smooth. Only a few shifts of their feet to get their cockpits lined up, and then they were stepping out of their canopies onto the catwalk jutting out from their roof. They are inside before the canopies were fully closed. That was more torture than I had planned. I gave the baby another look and sighed and pulled my curtains shut. Want more Futures Mecca? And want it sooner? Visit patreon.com slash futuresmecca.